the podcast on the Sing Second Sports Network are a ProVision Advisors production. At ProVision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution, and coaching for senior-level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. Visit ProVisionAdvisors.net to learn more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the one and only Navy Football Podcast by New Day USA. I'm Bill Wagner, Naval Academy Athletics beat writer for the Capital Gazette newspapers and the Baltimore Sun, and I am joined by former Navy football greats Eric Catani and Keenan Reynolds, two of the greatest offensive players of the triple option era. Both went on to star in the NFL. Fellas, it's Cincinnati week. Navy travels out to Cincinnati for a big game. Uh, this is going to be a tough one, fellas. Chris Cervello, our producer, has already done the homework. Navy is a nearly 20-point underdog. Uh, last season, Navy played Cincinnati tough. In fact, no team played Cincinnati tougher other than Alabama in the college football playoff. 27-20, and Navy had the ball, and Coach Niamata said had Navy scored, they were going to go for two and try to win the game 28-27. Um, however, the last time that Navy played in, at Cincinnati in 2018, it was one of the worst offensive performances I've seen out of Navy. Uh, they got beat 42 to nothing. It was really, truly ugly. So uh, Cincinnati has a 30-game winning streak at Nippert Stadium. That's formidable. Only Clemson has a longer winning streak uh, at home. So, uh, Keenan, uh, your thoughts on can you upset Cincinnati on its home field? I think Coach Niamat said during his presser, and it sounded like he was talking about Notre Dame. This is usually what he says about Notre Dame. We have to be perfect, and they have to be a little off. Yeah, I think that's an accurate assessment by Coach. Uh, you know, you, you talked about it. Very, very good football team. Only lost this year. Well, they got two losses, right? They lost uh, last week, and then they lost to uh, Arkansas. That's so, correct. Right. I mean, Central Florida got them last week. So Central Florida is now in the driver's seat. Uh, but Cincinnati's very much in the hunt to be in the American Athletic Conference Championship game, which is why they absolutely cannot afford a slip-up. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, one would think that this would be like a trap game, right? Uh, but, you know, you're coming off of a loss – it's obviously like, hey, you know, they're probably saying, let's get refocused. We still got a chance to, to play for the title. Can't afford any letdowns at this point in the season. So Navy is just going to – they're going to have to be clicking uh, offensively, defensively. Um, I'm a bit concerned on the offensive side of the ball. I'm really curious to see how uh, Xavier does. Will he be able to throw the ball? Uh, will we be able to move the ball? Um, and then def defensively, obviously, we've talked about it week in, week out. Um, even on games we've won, is like, can we not get the ball thrown over our heads? Can we not give up big plays in the passing game? I mean, that that's really what it comes down to. The, the formula has been the same the entire year. We've had the same conversation week in and week out of, like, what it's going to take for Navy to win, and it really hasn't changed um, up until this point. Well, so Cincinnati is simply reloaded. They sent – I think they had nine guys drafted in the NFL. I think they sent a total of 11 players to the NFL ranks, including quarterback Desmond Ritter, uh, then wide receiver Alec Pierce, I was watching him play for the Indianapolis Colts against the Washington Commanders this past weekend. And uh, the running back, Jerome Ford, who was an Alabama transfer. So that's three key weapons. But they've capably replaced all of them. 
Uh, ben Bryant, this goes to show you how the transfer portal can help. Ben Bryant was Desmond Ritter's backup at Cincinnati for two years. When Desmond Ritter was a senior, he realized he was not going to play. So he transferred to Eastern Michigan and was a starter and had a big season. And then Den Desmond Ritter went to the NFL and he said, okay, I'll come back to Cincinnati. So Cincinnati basically got a quarterback who knew their system, had been in their system, who comes back and walks right in, ready-made starter. And he's having a great season. He's uh, put up big numbers passing-wise. So, Eric, I mean, what is your take on what does Navy do? How does Navy upset Cincinnati? I'm calling for an upset, actually. I'm switching the pace up. I'm taking I'm taking Navy all day upset. If you look Are at, you, ser you know, you're serious? I'm serious. I'm I, I this is the week. This is the week. This is an upset. Um, if you look at Cincinnati's schedule, you know, they 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 put a lashing on Kennesaw State versus uh, our old coach, uh, Brian Bohan. Every talks about him, you know, and how good of a coach he is. And, you know, since neighbors, SMU, and, you know, we should have beat SMU. And, and there's a little difference there with uh, their schedule there. But I think that the players rally around um, the new quarterback, Ty is out with the uh, season ending injury, which, you know, is very unfortunate. You never want to see him maybe get hurt. But I think these guys are going to step up, and I, I'm calling upset. I, I, I know Chris Cervello. Is saying what nineteen and a half point underdogs? You know, I'm, I'm take I'll take the money line Navy. Well, I love your confidence, brother, and uh, you know, I'll, obviously, we all would love to see Navy win, and I do. I think there is a chance that Navy can steal one of these three games, in which they are going to be heavy underdogs. After Cincinnati, obviously, it's the neutral site meeting with Notre Dame and Baltimore, and then the road game against Central Florida, which is another American Athletic Conference heavyweight. I do believe Navy can win one of three. Maybe this will be it. So um, tell me your thoughts, Eric, about the quarterback change. Xavier Arline is a dramatically different style quarterback than Ty Lavatai. He's more of a perimeter threat, less of an inside running threat. Um, not as good a passer. That's a big question mark, and Keenan mentioned it. And, and Coach Niamatololo talked about it. If, if Xavier does not show he can throw the ball effectively, teams are going to stack the box with 10, 11 defenders. Um, what's your thoughts on this quarterback change? I know we haven't seen a lot of sample size out of Xavier, but we, we know kind of what he's about. Yeah, we've seen him in the past. You know, uh, I would say he's quicker than fast. Um, you know, a little more shiftier than, than Ty. Um, but I, I think the coaching staff is going is to bring out some, some, some plays here that we haven't seen yet. I think that they've been waiting. Um, you're not waiting for it, but they have to be um, a little more different schemed versus, uh, you know, that the true athletes of Cincinnati has. Like, like you're saying, all those transfer portal guys, like those guys are athletes, right? Those guys can, can make up ground or make up mistakes they've had uh, throughout. And I think Cincinnati is thinking that it's going to be an easy win. You know, we played games like this and Keen's playing games like this in the past. That these teams are going to say, hey, you know, it's just Navy. You know, they're 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 not having a good season. Let's just, you know, it's going to take this a loss right now. And, and hopefully, the coaches and Coach Jasper and Coach Newmont can drop some amazing plays. And I hopefully Coach Newberry can kind of rattle the you know, the Cincinnati offense and just slow them down a little bit. So, you know, I, I am all aboard for for the Cincinnati losing the Navy and the Navy upset. And hopefully, next Sunday we have this conversation and and say I'm right, but you know, I might be completely wrong. So, Keenan, uh, Coach Niamat talked about running more triple option plays 
with Xavier at quarterback that is uh skill set lends itself to that. Um, wh- what does that mean exactly? What are you envisioning? If you're the core, the offensive coaching staff, coach Jasper, coach Diamond, and you know what Xavier's skill set is, he's not going to do a lot of damage between the tackles, but he can do some zone read stuff. He's shifty, but he is a perimeter threat, as we've seen when he took the ball for to the house for 25 yards against Temple last weekend. He did it against Houston on a, a nice zone a, a quarterback keeper, 40-yard touchdown. Um, and I think, you know, if I'm Navy, maybe you throw some early just to put in the minds of Cincinnati that this guy can throw. If you think this guy's just a pure runner, no arm, we're, we, we, you got another thing coming. What, what would you do? Yeah, I like I like the point you made about like putting the ball in the air early. Uh, I I anticipate Cincinnati being very aggressive. Um, they know that we have a quarterback change. They know they they've seen you know Xavier on film. They can kind of glean what his what they think his strengths and weaknesses are, and they'll likely you know challenge Navy to throw the ball with, with a very aggressive secondary and a lot of like blitzing and firing by linebackers, uh, potentially some stunts up front. Uh, I, I, that's what I would see them doing. So I think to your point, Bill, uh, coming in and throwing the ball early to keep them honest and not allow them to try to cheat and, and make you one dimensional out the gate. I think it's going to be huge. I think Xavier's going to be fine between the tackles. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's this misconception that you have to be this big physical guy to, to run the triple option between tackles. I was not a big guy. Um, I am not a big guy. <laughs> I was probably playing at 190 or less the, my entire time and maybe even lighter, like 180-ish my freshman year. And I ran the ball a lot between tackles, a ton of midline um, and a lot of zone zone options on the perimeter. But, like, I was not a – I wasn't super fast. I wasn't super shifty, and I wasn't very big. And I felt like I was able – I felt I could run anything. So – I don't think the size of the quarterback really has anything to do with their success um, running the ball. I mean, obviously you can't be a pipsqueak trying to hit it. It's really about how you run. Um, do you hit the hole? Are you, are you decisive when you run the ball? Are you, is your head on a swivel looking for that third man, that unblocked man um, to come fill the alley and making a move on it? That's something that we practice a lot. So I think it's more of a mentality thing is like, I'm going to hit this hole and you're not just going to bring me down with arm tackle. And I think if you run in there and you're thinking about getting hit or you're bracing yourself, you worry about contact and yeah, you're not going to be very successful running between the tackles. So I think for Xavier, he just has to hit it, man. Don't worry about how big you are. You're, you're shifty. You're, you got speed. When you run between tackles, just hit it. And when it comes to throwing the ball, just make your reads and throw it. Don't, don't second guess. Um, I, I see a lot of second guess and I saw a lot of second guessing last week where it looked like he wanted to pull the trigger, but he wasn't sure. I would be like, listen, man, nobody's expecting you or us to do anything in this game. Let the thing fly. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about your job. Just go out there and let the ball go. Let it rip. Trust your eyes, trust your potential and trust your talent. I agree hundred percent. I do think it would be wise to incorporate some short passing concepts, which enable him to get some confidence and also, he has shown that he's good on rollout type situations because that suits his skill set. So, guys, I wrote an article. It appeared in today's paper about the gradual elimination of cut blocking. When Coach Paul Johnson brought the triple option to Navy, it relied on cut blocking. In those days, you could cut block. Really, there were no restrictions. And uh, a lot of it really all started when Johnson went to Georgia Tech 
and the ACC coaches had to start playing against that offense all the time. And David Cutcliffe, Cutcliffe from Duke was uh, on the rules committee, the NCAA rules committee, and he made it a personal crusade to slowly, steadily eliminate cut blocking. And it's been one rule after another. It began with you could not cut block, cut block going back to the ball. So that eliminated the load block where a Navy wide receiver or slot back would go inward, arc inward, and get a linebacker. Then the next rule was that you could not cut block beyond five yards downfield. Now, all of a sudden, that hurts the slots leading a, their a fellow slot into the hole, and it hurts receivers. And last but not least, the most recent rule, which went into effect at the beginning of this season, was you flat out cannot cut block outside the tackle box. So at this point, the only time you can cut block is at the point of attack. An offensive lineman can go and cut a defensive lineman's legs, uh, provided it's not a high, low, or chop block. But that's it. So now Navy slotbacks have to a big adjustment. When you know, for years and years, Navy slots cut. That's how they got guys on the ground. That's how they blocked. And now they can't do it. And early on, they really struggled. Uh, they're getting better, and they're learning how to be more physical, how to be more aggressive, and go get that guy that they have to block, whether it's a cornerback or a safety. But what is your thoughts on this? I mean, I talked to former coach Paul Johnson, and he says it's all BS. It was his exact term. He also was on the rules committee battling David Cutcliffe over this, and he kept saying, because obviously what their contention was, this is about safety, uh, and they would always say, after we played Georgia Tech, we got eight guys on crutches. So he said, show me the statistics. Show me data that tells me how many players are getting injured as a result of cut, of cut blocks, and they could never do it. So what is your thoughts? Uh, start with Keenan, because uh, you benefited from cut blocks on the perimeter, and then I'll get Eric's thoughts. What do you think of this gradual elimination of cut blocking, and how do you think it affects Navy's ability to run the option? Yeah, so I think one of the key words that you mentioned was gradual. Um, so I think that's like some context to kind of just – put at the top of our minds and then let's set that to the side but specifically like to your point definitely benefited from cutting uh i think it really helps inside the tackle box the scoop block is like being able to get to the next level and and cut that that was huge right on the perimeter to your point getting safeties and corners on the ground or their hands on the ground made for a lot of large runs there's no way that that Shun White rushes for 350 yards on 19 carries if we can't get guys on the ground on the perimeter. That's how he was so effective. That game was that 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 stat line, that game is a perfect example of the of cut blocking on the perimeter and what it can do if it's done correctly. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think coaches have been complaining, and players who are going to the NFL have been, you know, complaining forever about cut blocks and how much they hated and how much they they don't want to go through it because they're all worried about their knees. And that was kind of a mental advantage that we had because when we played those types of teams, they would be scared. Like, they didn't want to get cut, and they would be more concerned about protecting themselves than playing fast and playing the game. You know, and obviously we want, we're not advocating for, you know, unsafe practices, but to Coach's point, Coach Johnson's point, like, show us the data. Like, if that's, if that's what it's doing, show us that. Having said all that, gradual elimination of cut blocking over the years. So the Navy coaches have had in their minds, like 
this is happening, but it's getting progressively restrictive, uh, progressively more restrictive year after year. So it's not like we came in one season and was like, oh, we can't do any of this thing. Things kind of got eliminated one by one. So I don't I don't offer that up as an excuse because the coaches knew this is probably on the way. The players who are explained, hey, this is the new rule changes this year. This is how we have to practice and play. And this is how we're going to do this. It, it's come up. You know what I'm saying? So I think that uh, what's important is you have to be able to adapt on the fly. And I'm I'm not going to give anybody any way out. Got to be more physical on the edge. You can't cut a guy. You got to get in his grill. That's just where it comes down to. So, um, you know, obviously not ideal, but I think that we kind of knew it was coming. It was going to get to this point, almost to where they eliminated it out of the game. And you just have to be able to adapt because nobody cares that you can't cut. You know, they care about how many games you win or lose. So uh, Keenan made a very good point. Another part of this is you can no longer cut to the second level. Navy used to also be able to send guards and tackles up to the second level to get linebackers. And I don't know if Eric is a fullback. When you ran up into the middle, if, if you didn't have the ball, did they tell you to cut a linebacker? But you can no longer cut on the second level. And what Coach Niamatololo and the other Navy coaches said, it's been very noticeable. Safeties, backside linebackers in particular, are running much more aggressively toward the ball because they're not worried about getting taken out, their feet taken out. Eric, any quick thoughts uh, before we go to break about cut blocking being eliminated? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, can you make some great points there? Um, it's kind of a double-sided sword. I, I brought this up to a group of guys I know in the 09, um, and uh, one of the quarterbacks, uh, he goes, well, about defense, those guys just, you know, spear us in the legs. He goes, it's, it's pretty much cut blocking, but on defense, taking our legs out. They don't say anything about that. Keenan said a very good point of, you know, putting fear in the defensive players. Like, I remember games, especially versus Wake Forest, the linebacker we played, his name was Aaron Curry. Guy was a stud. And he got cut. And he was, he was about to be the first-round draft pick. He goes to me, he goes, Eric, I appreciate telling guys not to cut me. I'm trying to get paid. I'm like, yeah, absolutely, no problem at all. I walked up to <laughs> our A-backs. I'm like, go cut him. He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to play. None of these guys want to play. Uh they had Chip Kelly as well on the team. And they none of these guys, no, and any player that's gonna get drafted does not want anybody near their knees. With without their knees, you can't play. Without their ankles, you can't play. So the, it is scary seeing a guy named Zerb Singleton run down with full speed and take someone out and not just once, but twice in, in the entire game. So those guys, you're right. You know, Sean Brighton went out of the yards or myself as well, just because those alleys were open when those guys are hands are down there and their head was down and, you know, playing for the, the Washington Redskins at the time, now the commanders, we did, you know, blocking and we can't cut. And it was very hard to block those linebackers and safeties you know, for RG3 and, you know, the players like that, because you have to stay up. You work their outside shoulder, you move. But while you're working their outside shoulder to get the guy to lane the outside, they have pursuit coming on in. You know, so the backside linebackers, those free safeties that they're not getting cut, those guys are coming in, those big plays aren't there. So it, it's tough. It, it's a tough uh, dynamic we're, we're in right now. Well, that's great that you mentioned Zerb Singleton, because he was the absolute savage poster boy for cut blocking. He made it an art form. And there is still a clip that, that is amazing to see in which he cut a guy 
and then crawled on his hands and knees five yards forward to cut another one. He got two guys <laughs> on one play. It was absolutely awesome. I, I will never forget it. Uh, we're going to go to a break, and when we come back, we're going to have our Academy Securities Alumni Spotlight. We are going to be joined by a real hero of the triple option era, the very first quarterback of the most, the current triple option era when we come back. All right, Sing Second fans, a few announcements from our friends at the Naval Academy Athletic Association. We are going to hear from Mike Keery in the next segment. A great reminder that basketball season is just days away as Navy opens up their season this week down at William & Mary. Be sure to get your basketball season tickets. Both men's and women's basketball season tickets are on sale now. Join them at Alumni Hall all season long as the Mids look to build on their exciting 2022 campaign. Call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or visit NavySports.com to get those season tickets. And while you're on NavySports.com, be sure to get your Veterans Classic tickets. Mike talks about how special that Veterans Classic is, both for the Naval Academy community, but also for college basketball writ large. Navy brings in three great teams this year. They bring in a top-ranked Houston team. They bring in the Princeton Tigers, and they bring in St. Joseph's, led by former Navy head coach Billy Lang. The action begins at 6 p.m. with Houston taking on St. Joe's, and then is followed by Navy taking on Princeton at 8.30 p.m. So again, call 1-800-US-4-NAVY or visit NavySports.com to get those tickets today. And we saved the best announcement for last. The Kid Shipman Club is the official kids club of Navy Athletics. For just $20, your membership includes exclusive gifts, free tickets to Navy sporting events, a birthday card from Bill the Goat, and more. To register, visit NavySports.com. Now back to the pod. Welcome back, and it's time for the Academy Securities Alumni Spotlight. And our spotlight subject tonight is Craig Candido, the first quarterback, the first starting quarterback of the current triple option era when Paul Johnson was hired at Navy and took over in 2002. Craig Candido was the first starting quarterback. Uh, The team went 2-10 and that year as Coach Johnson established the program and his philosophies and taught the triple option. But the following year was a breakout year for Navy football with Craig at the helm. The option looked much better and Navy went eight and five and played in the Houston bowl, the EV one Houston bowl. So Craig, my first question would be, what is your recollection of coach Johnson taking over? You've been with coach Weatherby. Uh, The team went three and 30 the previous three seasons. I know you were only there for two of them. But the, the program was in dire straits. Coach Johnson came in and he had to establish a culture. He had to change the mindset. Uh, what is your recollection of those early days of Coach Johnson's tenure? Well, they were tough. They were very tough. Uh, Coach Johnson came in and basically laid down the law and was trying to see who really wanted to play Navy football. And he was trying to change a mindset that we kind of gotten in that losing mindset. And I was there for those first three years. We were three and 30 over the first three years I was at the academy, which is tough for anybody, obviously. Very tough three years. But then when Coach Johnson got hired in 2002, it gave a lot of us hope. It gave a lot of us hope that we were going to be able to turn the thing around. We believed in this plan. Not everybody enjoyed Coach Johnson coming in the way he came in, but it had to be done. And anytime you flip over a program, you've got to come in and say, hey, 
this is how it's going to be done. You either fall in line or you get out of here. And we lost several guys from, from that team that couldn't really make it because of this way that things were being run. And uh, that was a good thing because the guys that stayed ended up being uh, guys that helped flip the program around and go to that bowl game in 2003. So obviously a big turning point was the Army game at the end of the 2002 season. You, you ran wild, had a big game. And Navy beat Army soundly. If I'm correct, it was 34 to six or something like that, wasn't it, Craig? Uh, in 2002, it was 58 to 12, and then 34 to six in 2003. Yep. Right. So um, then the next year is when Navy really got things going, and that's the year that you know you all beat Air Force at what was then known as uh, well, I guess it's now FedEx Field, but it's the Redskins Stadium in Landover. And that was the turnaround win, be finally beating Air Force. Um, what is your recollection of that turnaround season, the winning season, going to a bowl game? I mean, it's basically what every – first of all, it was remarkable that Coach Johnson was able to do it in just one year. I thought it was going to take two, three years before Navy had a winning season. What's your recollection of that breakthrough season? Well, it's fantastic. You know, when you go through three years of just – absolutely garbage and not winning football games. I mean, these guys, I mean, Eric and Keenan probably can't even fathom winning three games in three seasons at Navy because they had so much success and rightfully so. But going into that, that last year of my senior year and that army Navy game, like you said, propelled us in 2002 into that 2003 season. It kind of clicked. It started clicking towards the end of that 2002 year. We had some close games. We played way close. And then that army game just was like, Hey, we can do something big. And we really dedicated ourselves that offseason. I'll never forget running sprints with Eddie Carson out there at the practice field, just me and him in the summer, just saying, hey, and we were both captains just saying, we're going to get it done this year. Whatever it takes, we're going to get it done. We had a bunch of group of guys that wanted to do that. But that Air Force game was, I think you're right, Bill, a turning point. Uh, that was a huge win. Air Force had been really, if you look at the scores, kind of head and shoulders above us at that point in the last few years. We went out there to Colorado Springs in 2002 and they beat us 48 to seven. It was just embarrassing. And so to be able to beat them in 2003 in FedEx field, one of the bigger games for me as a Navy player, because then it just started to roll after that. I think the team, I think we were maybe one and two or something like that up to that point, maybe two and two. And then we eventually beat them and got over the hump. And they I think they were ranked 25th in the country in some polls at that time. So it was a big win for us. And it just kind of all clicked for us at that point. So, Craig, my recollection is that uh, you were going to go to flight school in Pensacola, and I don't remember exactly what happened from there, um, but kind of tell us what you did during your service career in the Navy. Yeah, so when I got out, I went to uh, Pensacola to start flight school, like you mentioned. From there, I went to Meridian, Mississippi, and went to advanced flight training and, and got my wings, uh, selected jets, uh, F-18s out of there. Ended up going to NAS Oceana and uh, starting VFA 106, which they call the FRS, which is getting me basically ready to go out to the fleet. And throughout my time in flight school, I was having some health issues and kind of fought through them. And then once I got to Oceana, uh, some of the health issues came back up. And so I ended up getting grounded and the Navy ended up releasing me. So I had been in five years at that point. The Navy ended up releasing me and, and giving me an honorable discharge because of medical reasons. So at that point, I jumped into coaching. I knew at some point, I thought, you know, about my junior year in college, I thought college coaching may be something that I wanted to do at some point. And so when I was able to get out of the military, 
I went and became a graduate assistant at Austin Peay State University. Now, I had a lot of contacts in college football at that time because we went through two different staffs at Navy. And so I had a lot of people that were all over the place, uh, Coach Johnson included. And I reached out. To, I probably sent out at least 200 emails and contacts to try and get in front of somebody to get a job. And Austin P responded with, hey, we might have an opportunity for you. So my wife and I flew to Nashville and went and visited Nashville and then just drove to the campus to meet the head coach. And by the time we got done, who actually hit Rick Christopher, who was on the Tampa Bay staff as the tight ends coach uh, for the Super Bowl year a couple of years ago. So we still stay in touch, but he hired me as a GA. And then I went to be on a GA on Coach Johnson's staff at Georgia Tech in 2010. Then I got my first full-time job at the Citadel on 11 and 12 as the quarterbacks and D-backs coach. Then I became the head coach at Capital University from 13 to 15, which is Division III school in Columbus, Ohio. Went back to Georgia Tech in 16 and then on staff there as the assistant director of football operations. Then I got promoted in 2017 as the quarterbacks and D-backs coach at Georgia Tech under Coach Johnson for a couple of years. Then he retired. So I uh, had to find another opportunity, which ended up at Austin P in 2019 for my final season in college football coaching. So I know you're out of coaching and Craig was originally from the land Florida. And I believe you're back uh, near where you grew up. Are you not now? I am. Yeah. I live in the land. So it's back around family. It's good to, good to be back down here and probably have a little bit warmer weather than you guys are going to have in the next few months. So it's always a good thing. Well, uh, and you're working uh, for Chick-fil-A. I know you're an executive with Chick-fil-A and, we're glad you're doing well. I'm going to bring in Keenan and Eric. And Keenan, I'll start with you. Uh, did you ever watch film of uh, of Craig Candido? I mean, he he might not have been quite as gifted athletically as you were, but he was a pretty damn good athlete. A lot of people don't know that he was a two sport athlete at Navy. Also played baseball, was a starting outfielder. But um, you know, you were a little bit different type of quarterback. But you probably could learn some things from watching Craig Candido. Yeah, so first thing, uh, Craig, great to have you on the show. Uh, appreciate you. It's my first time actually talking to him uh, and, uh, you know, on on the show. And I we didn't actually get to watch any old school film, no offense, Craig, of uh, <laughs> of Craig playing quarterback. But Coach Hansford yeah. always, always brought him up. Like, uh, that's one thing about, like, the, the uniqueness of Navy football and that coaching staff is they've been there kind of from the genesis of the Paul Johnson era all the way up until now. So they can provide like, you know, years and years of context of like how people played the game, who they were, type of leaders they were. So like we had several conversations like about Craig, uh, Chris McCoy, you know, the list is long, Kaipo. So I heard about all those guys coming up and, and it was a, it was like a standard that they all kind of lived in. So here I am, young plea walking into the room. You know, these are the type of guys that Coach Jasper mentioned and they, that are the, the, the prototypical or the, or the types of guys that play quarterback in Navy. And you want to kind of le- be in that that room and be able to 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 live up to that standard. So he was definitely one of the standard bearers that uh, that coach talked about. Well, Bill, I, you're you're being way too nice, man. You said I wasn't quite the player that Keenan was. I was I was nowhere close to the player Keenan was. Well, hey, hold on. Keenan, did you ever score six touchdowns in Army Navy again? I did not. Craig, did you? That's, I did, and that's true. <laughs> oh, you know, when people, oh, hey, listen, listen. When people hey, tell me, hey, I, I got you, Craig. I got, I got you. We're I, right. I appreciate it. I, I got to tell you the story, Keenan, because when people ask me, like, is that still a record? I'm like, in the Army Navy game, it is. I said at one point I was tied for 
the national record until this guy named Keenan Reynolds scored seven in a game. I said, but you know what? He had to do it in three overtimes. I did it in three quarters. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's extremely impressive. Yeah. I, 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 all kudos to you on that. Cause like, first of all, as we all know, like the army Navy games, no matter how good you are that year, they're always a grind. And I never, I had one blowout army game in my four years. The rest of them were like, down to the wire. So the fact that you put up six six tubs in one game in three quarters, like that's that definitely speaks volumes because like I said, those army games, they are not easy to get blowout wins in. So Eric, you were mentioning that you know all about Craig, but you guys have not actually met. But uh kind of jump in here and and what's yeah. your thoughts with Craig Candido? Yeah, no, we, we we watched a ton of film uh you know of that of that you know those errors and and the the players and everything else and and, and you know, Craig, you got some comment. I live in Cleveland. You know, you were uh, down in Bexley, Ohio. Did you ever go to that um, that movie theater down there? I did not. No. Oh man, that that was my favorite movie theater. They, they had like two cinemas there. It was old school. It was like iconic Bexley, Ohio. Um, but you know, Craig, I, you know, I looked you up. You're you're the player of the year in high school. You know, you were the Deion Sanders, both sports athlete in in college. Um, but my question to you is. You know, after scoring six touchdowns in a game, what was uh, you know, besides that, what was your your favorite moments? You know, being at the academy, um, if it was just with a team or or just being there as a midshipman. It's hard to kind of point out one one moment itself. I mean, obviously graduating. <laughs> was of course, yeah, that, that that was mine as well. Yeah, <laughs> and that commissioning week where you're like, all right, I'm making it out of this place. It's awesome, but. Yeah. Um, really, honestly, when I think back on my time there, it's the thing we always said, right? It's the brotherhood. And you, you guys don't know me very well. I don't know you guys very well, but I can guarantee if we got in the same room together and we sat down, we would have a good time. We'd be talking and it'd just be like we went to school together just because that common bond that we have. And so I made that connection with a lot of great guys at the academy, some that continued on through my military service and most of those close ones are continuing today. And so just the quality of people that you meet at the academy from all different walks of life, all different places in the country, and the things that you get exposed to because of that just, I believe, makes you a more well-rounded person for the future. And we just have such high-quality individuals that attend the, the academies and Naval Academy specifically. And so just knowing that your brother, your sister went through the same exact thing that you did and you guys made it out and excelled at doing what you did, um, I think makes it special and makes those moments together very, very memorable. Yeah, Craig, that, that's a very good point of, you know, the, the, the teammates and the brother, because like most schools, right, let's say if you go to, you know, Miami, Ohio or, or you know, Capital, right, most of those players are, are usually from the same region, Ohio or, or Midwest, sometimes Florida, a little bit of Texas, but when you go to the Naval Academy, you know, my quarterback, Kaipo no Kaepernata, Hawaii, guys from California, Texas, all pretty much all, you know, 50 states. And we, when we travel different places, you're like, hey, you know, your, your brother's there. Like, hey, I'm going to reach out to you. We crash their place for a night or two, meet their family, meet their kids. It, it's one of, you know, the greatest experiences that, you know, I've met of that network with that brotherhood. So I, I completely agree with you that statement. We are very, very happy to be joined by a true Navy grade of the triple option era, Craig Candido. Academy Securities Alumni Spotlight Subject. We will be back to wrap up the Cincinnati game on Sunday evening for Eric Katani, Keenan Reynolds, 
Craig Candido and our producer, Chris Cervello. I'm Bill Wagner. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Navy Football Podcast.